This week's episode is brought to you, as always, by Patchworks Seattle, and they have some exciting news. They have uh, the new Korg ARP 2600 semi-modular synthesizer uh, that has been modernized in the newest 2600M model uh, with features like MIDI, a smaller form factor, and a re-engineered lush spring reverb, and that is available at Patchworks. And something else about Patchworks that I have utilized many times is it is a great place to bring in your vintage synthesizers and music gear on consignment, or you can do some trade for store credit. Patchworks is located in the heart of the Wallingford neighborhood in Seattle. You can stop by the showroom to play vintage synthesizers and shop new and used gear. Also has a ton of live events from in-store showroom sessions with local artists to in-depth workshops and classes. And here's another cool piece of information. If you are shopping online at Patchworks, free shipping for orders over $75. And then one last thing, they are updating their showroom hours. So Patchworks will be now open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from noon to 7 p.m. and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. So it will be closed Monday through Wednesday. Once again, that's patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.
Hello and welcome back to another episode of Padre the Modcast. My name is Tim Held and I'm very excited that this week is episode 250. That's right, over five years of Podular Modcast, and it feels very surreal to me. I kind of feel like I just started, and I kind of feel like I've been doing it forever, so it's, it's strange, but um, I still love it, and yeah, it's just, uh, it feels cool. It feels like a good milestone to reach. So this week, we're going to have Mark Weidenbaum on the show. I would say with 99.99% confidence that if it wasn't for Mark, I wouldn't be speaking to you right now as a podcast host. Uh, I found Mark's work, specifically the Disquiet Junto group, which we are going to discuss a little bit today, um, way before I found Modular, basically right when I was just getting into electronic music, and it really cracked my head open as far as uh, experimentation and what uh, music could really be. Before this, I was you know, stuck in very traditional ways of making music. So I'm excited to have Mark on. The music that you hear under my voice right now was made by Nick Turner. The album is called Under Dark Pines. Um, link to that in the show description. And if you would like to have your music featured on PodMod, hit up the Discord. There's an invite link in my Instagram bio. Uh, and if you can't find it there, you can always send me a DM or an email at podmodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's Nick Turner. I want to say thank you to Patchworks and Afterlater Audio for being such great supporters of Podular Modcast over the years. Um, please visit Patchworks online at patchwerks.com and Afterlater Audio at afterlateraudio.com. Um, yeah, they've been two of my biggest uh, supporters as far as the sponsorship of the show goes, so I just wanted to give them an extra special shout out here. I also want to take a moment to say thank you because without an audience, there would really be no reason to make a podcast. Uh, so if you're new, welcome. If you have been uh, listening since the beginning, then thank you. And everybody in between, thanks. Doing this podcast has provided me with so many cool experiences. I've made so many great friends as a result of it. Um, and it's just been one of the most enriching and rewarding endeavors of my entire life. So thanks. And we're going to get into our chat here in a moment, but I thought first it would be fun to maybe do a couple module demos, maybe play some um, some videos that I've made recently of some remote performances. I might sprinkle them throughout the uh, the episode just to make it feel like it's a little bit more momentous, momentous, momentous. How do you say that word? I think it's momentous. It feels like a momentous occasion. So yeah, I thought it'd be cool to just spruce it up a little bit with some extra content here. Also, thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. If you want to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at PodMod, visit patreon.com forward slash Modcast. Couldn't do the show without it. So thank you so much to everybody who uh, has, is, or will support the show in that regard. Uh, yeah, let's get into some fun stuff. First up, I'm going to do a little demo of the Triphase Oscillator from New Systems Instruments. Enjoy. All right, real quick, I want to show you the Triphase Oscillator from New Systems Instruments. This thing's really cool. Three uh, identical sawtooth waves 
that are all at the same pitch. So you have one one volt per octave and one FM input for the uh, the tone control, basically. Um, and then here are our three oscillators. They each have their own output, and then there's a mix output. So we're gonna look at the mix output, um, and it will be showing up here uh, as the yellow waveform on the Mordax data. Um, so basically what you have here is um, a bipolar CP3 type mixer that will give rich waveforms at the output. So by blending in a wave with a positive polarity, you reinforce in-phase harmonics, and then blending in a wave with a negative polarity, you reduce the in-phase harmonics. So let's just check that out really quick. We'll turn one saw wave up, just got a real simple sequence going into it. Now if I take the mix for the uh, second oscillator and turn it down to the negative range, if you get the phases just right, you get some phase cancellation. Or you can combine them. Here I can take the third one. But where it really starts getting fun is when you start messing with the phase of each oscillator. So I have them all just all the way up in the positive range. And of course, there is a CV control for all of these. So, I've got some LFOs running from the new system's quad LFO, some of those going into a follower on the Shape Dual Envelope VCA. Just got a lot of really fun modulation happening here. So let's just put some of those in there. As you can hear, you can get some really, really cool textures going. And how you have them mixed is going to affect, affect the sound, of course. And I got a really fast one going into the, uh, the FM. So this is a really, really simple patch, um, but I just wanted to show you the basics of this oscillator. I'm still wrapping my head around it, but I am having a lot of fun. So now I'm using the, um, the dedicated outputs and running them into some uh, VCAs from the Shape Dual Envelope VCA and the Envelope VCA from um, 4MS. So let's just turn the, uh, the mix down. So that was the mixed output. Now I'm gonna take each individual output, the one, two, and three, put them into some VCAs, uh, the Shape Dual Envelope VCA and just the Envelope VCA here from 4MS. The two from the Shape Dual Envelope VCA, I'm gonna put into the Dual Looping Delay, also from 4MS, and then the other one will have no effect on it. So let's just start with one. So there are three different um, oscillators, and now I'm gonna bring the mix up that does not pass through a VCA.
again, a very, very simple patch, but I just wanted to show you uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of the triphase oscillator. It is super fun. Um, I've made some really cool stuff with it so far, and uh, hopefully I will be sharing that with you sooner than later. But I just, again, wanted to give you the, the stripped down, real basic explanation of how this thing works, but you can get into all sorts of really fun territory. For the longtime listener, your name will be familiar, or I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our, we have a lot of overlap in this similar communities and you've been at it for a long time. But for those of you who don't know, I, uh, I have to, there's, you know, there's a, there's a handful of huge influences, uh, for me that kind of got me started in the direction, uh, that I took when I started doing electronic solo music. And, uh, I think one of the most not only influential, but useful uh, things that I did at the beginning was joining the uh, the Disquiet Junto group. And uh, yeah, I was actually looking for a bunch of my old tracks that I'd submitted and they're on a hard drive somewhere. And I, I really would like to find some of them and dig them up and listen to them. Um, but for those who uh, don't know, can you can you give an explanation of, of the Junto? Sure, sure thing. So uh, the Disquiet Hunto is a online music community, largely online. Uh, the way it works is that every Thursday, a compositional prompt, a music composition prompt, often quite broadly defined, goes out to the community via email. Um, it also gets posted on social media and so forth. And then people have from Thursday till the following Monday, end of the day, uh, just before midnight to record and post a track. Uh, for other people to then comment on and discuss. Um, and that's how it works. And we've been doing it right now. I'm preparing for tomorrow's track because we're talking on a Wednesday and tomorrow's Thursday. And we're preparing for the 581st consecutive weekly project. Oh my God. That is amazing. That is <laughs> absolutely amazing. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that on the, the first time I, I remember being like, we got to have you on at the 10 year. And then I just realized that I'm half a month away from my five year. And I was thinking, wow, congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, and you're very, very much, um, you know, a part of that seed that led to this. Um, and, and yeah, me realizing that it had been five years, I was like, oh shit, I bet Junto's turning 10 soon. And I looked and I I'd missed it because I wanted to have you on for the, the 10 year but that, yeah, those the last five years have just really flown by because I'm pretty sure you were the first within the first ten guests, but maybe oh, was I? Well, I think cool. so. I'd have to remember. Look yeah, I'm, I I should have looked this up, but um, but yeah. So thank you very much. But um, I guess what I what I really wanted to talk about was like, how has it been over the last five years? Like, has it, has there been any new um, you know new developments in it? Uh, the growth you know, how, how many people have been doing it, you know, for the entire 10 years, if any, you know, that kind of stuff. 
um now yeah. I, no, i'm just too curious i gotta look this up real quick while you're while you're telling me <laughs> <laughs> so um you know it's funny some things have grown i'm not sure i would use the word change per se but some things have grown um you know i think the biggest shift of the past five years was that i think five years ago we hadn't fully moved conversation to lines the lines message board which for those not okay. familiar is the letter l eight times followed by a period followed by co now highly recommend it it's a, it's a great place to hang out online uh, if, you, if you're interested in or make music that's electronically mediated mostly um yeah so sometime around that i have to look back we started communicating there and then eventually um at the invitation of someone who helped found the board um, we just started posting each project there and uh, and that that's where the majority of discussion takes place but on purpose there is no single home for the hunto it's if you looked at all the things that online communities do in terms of having a formal base of operations all these structures basically the the way the hunto has survived is by doing none of that like it's never <laughs> monetized it's never required sort of like passcodes for access it's not behind any sort of wall it's very open um, it's, it's, has no, like no obvious visual branding. It has no specific URL, all the things that you're told to do, or, or I think are commonly assumed to do to make an online community function. Not one of them exists. There's no merchandise. It's just a bunch of people posting music online. And increasingly, I think one of the best things in the past few years with some subtle, uh, social engineering on my part has been to, for there to be more, uh, conversation. That's one thing I've been working toward. Uh, so there's that. We have a Slack, uh, which is much more of a water cooler. I think the the uh -huh. chat on on the Slack is a little different than the the one on lines, but it's been fun. There's a little less social media chat just because there's a lot less activity on Twitter, uh, but there's some picking up on Mastodon and elsewhere. Um, I think the use of the hashtags been pretty good, though not as 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 strong as I'd hope. I, it, it is nice when people post um, evidence of their work. I love the visual, the tritus, the the, the kind of um, the process stuff. But we're seeing some of that. Very recently, um, I started something quite new, which I wanted to do back the first year. I remember the first year reaching out to a few people to do this, and then just I just didn't work for me. But I finally started a series of interviews with uh, people who've been participating regularly. Oh, cool. uh, so we started off with Daniel Diaz, uh, who's Argentinian originally, but Spanish parents, or forgive me, it might be a Spanish to Argentinian parents. Uh, forgive me. I think it's Spanish to Argentinian parents and now lives in France. Did an interview with him, did one with Ian Joyce. I've got one coming up with uh, uh, two other people already set, a few more in the works. So hopefully every week or so, I'll be able to just short interviews, you know, like a half dozen questions, uh, most of which are formatted, and then a little bit of follow up where I can sort of respond to something they said. And I'm always trying to think of ways to get the community to be more aware of its inner workings. Um, and that is among numerous little kind of nudges that I make uh, as I've moved it along. I, I think those are the biggest changes in time. Okay. We've had some cool events where we collaborated with cool people. There's lots of cool projects, standalones, but nothing more sort of systemic. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask if like, have you had like a meetup or anything like that? I mean, that's gotta be hard because there's, it's, it's worldwide. So. Yeah. yeah. I've wanted to, we, we did a bunch the very first year and there've been a few occasions like when I used to travel a lot more um, <clears throat> before having, well, I, I had our kid after, well, our, we had our kid before the junto started, but there've been periods where it made more sense for me to travel than others and lately less so. So it's been less conducive. Also, um, the anniversary coincided with COVID. 
Uh, so that I really was uh, cautious about um, having a big event then because I didn't want to encourage it. Um, right. But uh, but there have been events. There's actually what I think my favorite aspect of events is when they occur and I'm not even part of them. Um, there was several years ago, pre-COVID, there was a um, a meetup in Toronto that oh, cool. I wanted to attend, but I just the timing didn't work out. But a bunch of people got together, put on a show. Wow, that's played awesome. together, played for each other and with each other. And I didn't even, I mean, in a way that to me was a great fruition. Um, yeah. I, I would like to do more. I have designs on an event here. In, I live in San Francisco, California, just mm-hmm. north of Golden Gate Park. I've lived here for a long time. I have designs to do one here at some point, but I got to say like online life is a big part of life. And I feel like there are benefits to getting together. And I love seeing people in person, but uh, it's less of a urge than it used to be. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that makes sense. And I think, uh, you know, I think even though we all got burnt out with, with Zoom and, and Twitch concerts and, and that kind of stuff, like, I, I think that kind of changed the dynamic of, I mean, I know a lot of people have spent a lot of time online, you know, with communities and stuff, but I, I feel like it became a little bit more, um, I guess, just broad or normalized within, you know, like the, the general public. And I feel like that's kind of remained, even though COVID is like, yeah. you know, it's not over, but you know, it's, it's not what it was. Yeah. Um, I think it's a benefit yeah. that's here to stay. I think that mm-hmm. kind of um, broader online activity. I, I remember early in the pandemic, I do some writing for the wire and I wrote mm-hmm. a review of, of, a, of, an, of a live stream. And it was funny because I remember it just, in ret- it was only a few years ago, but it was so new. The idea that I was reviewing a concert on my laptop, which was the same device. So I'm reviewing a concert on my laptop. I'm typing away. It's the same device I attended the concert on uh-huh. and is also the same device on which I could then, anyone could watch the exact same concert I watched. It's not like, oh, I review this concert and someone had a cam up in the back and people can watch it online. Right. I mean, uh-huh. I attended a, a concert in Golden Gate Park not long ago, and it was an incredible concert. And then someone did a really beautiful video of it. And I shared it with friends and like, that isn't very good. And I was like, you know what? This video has nothing to do with what I experienced in the park. It's yeah, like a right. fax machine. But but this for a live stream of it, and on top of it, it was a live stream of live coders. So they themselves were employing their laptops to perform. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little update request on my laptop. Yeah, so it was, I remember just at that moment being like, wow, this is some... If this, if, if this, I'm, I've kind of like touched the edge of the simulacrum, right? Like we don't need to be in a simulacrum because it already is its own form of self-generated simulacrum. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. And, and speaking of COVID, uh, I had planned to go to San Francisco and was going to do oh. a live pod mod for peaked SF, which is a little concert series down oh. there. And you were going to be one of the people on yeah, it. I was yeah. so, so excited to meet you in person. This. Yeah. And then, uh, I think, it was, I think we were supposed to go the weekend after like complete shutdown of absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Right around then there was supposed to be a deluge. I remember in March, I think it was March 22nd, a friend and I were going to go, I think it was the date we were going to go to, I have a deluge, which I enjoy. And a friend and I were supposed to go to a concert in Oakland, I think that was going to be a place where there was one deluge on stage and you brought your 
SD card. And you, <laughs> I love that idea. You don't need a roadie. You just show with your SD card right. and you stick it in and then you do your performance. I was not going to perform. I, I'm not sure my friend might have been planning on I'm not sure. But in any case, uh-huh. I love that idea of like a format that is one object. And it wasn't being fetishized. It wasn't like a SF MoMA kind of like self-conscious art thing. Nothing against SF MoMA. I just mean like in terms of the setting, it wasn't like this object wasn't the point. It was just like such a a clean way to present. And then of course the concert didn't happen. I may be misremembering this. My brain's a bit melted over the past few years, but that is my recollection around March of yeah. 2020. Timelines are very strange. You know, I feel like everybody oh, yeah. I talk to is like, that was two years ago. No, that was three. Wait, was it two or th-? and it's just like you can't yeah. 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 Um I got so, more gray. Huh? That's how I know <laughs> Oh yeah. I I'm I started doing the mustache thing, not because my chin is going gray, but I am starting to finally get some silk or it's, it's actually just white. Yeah. My yeah. Fam, my, my family goes white. Um, so how many, how many people are currently part of the group? I know like there's probably the weekly thing is probably hard for a lot of people, but um, you know, so let's just yeah. say like people who are semi-regular at least once a month or something like that. So, so you should know that um, I spend much of my life, <laughs> this is the preface to your answer. I'll give you the answer first, because I don't want to mm-hmm. bore people. I, I'm going to bore them no matter what, let me try to bore them less, which is to say, <laughs> I think that, um, I think that uh, there are about 1,800 subscribers to the mailing list, maybe closer mm-hmm. to 2,000. There's, um, that's the only number I really know. I know that the projects on a weekly basis can have had over time as many as 70-ish participants in a given week and as few as like a dozen or so. I think there was one week it was actually less than a dozen. Um, I, I, I think I can think of a few other metrics, but I have to tell you that I don't live a very metric-oriented life. Mm-hmm. Um, but my I tend to be, because of modern life and just the nature of work, I get metrics and I'm intrigued by them, but a bit like what I said at the opening about the Hunto not having a lot of the kind of branding, merch, single look, all those things it doesn't do. Likewise, I've never built it for growth. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I've fully recognized that if I'm reading some avant-garde novel, oh, sorry, the phone's ringing. Um, <laughs> fortunately, someone's home, so they can grab it. If, <laughs> if, um, if, I'm, if, I'm, uh, if I'm reading some avant-garde novel, I don't consider it a failure of the author if I have difficulty finding people to discuss it with. The, the beauty of 2023 and has been the beauty for a very long time at this point, I'm old enough to remember when it wasn't the case is that I can easily find people to discuss it with. Mm-hmm. Like in my twenties, I was super into this, um, this, uh, very, some, several very complicated novelists, uh, one in particular, Michael Brodsky. And he wrote uh, a series of novels like X and Paris and, uh, uh, goat poems, I think was one of them. Very, very complicated books to read kind of like William Gaddis ish, but, but with a, I don't want to say like a pop sensibility, but like a little bit of pension, but more complex, a little bit of John. Proto- he was before Jonathan Lethem. Anyhow, I couldn't find anyone to discuss these books with. I would, you know, I went to one reading. I, did I, go to read? I didn't even go to a reading with him. I went to a reading for someone related to him. In any case, the gist is like, it used to be hard to find people mm-hmm. to talk about what you like. Now, not hard at all. You just, I'm yeah. sure there's a Michael Brodsky discussion group I haven't discovered yet. Right. Um, yeah. Or there's at least a discussion group to like, related to a Dalkey archive press or something where I would easily find people. And, and as a result of that, things aren't obscurity means a different thing than it used to, you know, I, can I, I may ramble a little bit. So absolutely. Just, uh, I love it. Kind of trace this. Yeah. I'll trace this thought. You know, I, I subscri- I'm very interested in um, reading perspectives on what you would call internet culture. Um, I think that uh, there's some newsletters I read that are, do a pretty good, interesting job of treating 
online activity culture that is of the internet um, mm -hmm. as being, you know, like writing about pop music or like writing about television. And I respect that. But as I've been discussing with some friends recently, some of these, some of this internet culture coverage has a tendency to do two things, which is one, kind of in a chin-stroking way, note that Twitter, et cetera, are not really arbiters of reality because actually ultimately not a huge percentage of the planet actually is on them. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they will then alternately express, I'll call it confusion, that certain things out there are incredibly popular in terms of metrics, yet don't appear on pop culture at all. And there can be a sort of like, now I'm not a boomer, I'm Gen X, but there can be a kind of like, whatever boomer kind of response to it, like, oh, this stuff barely exists. Like, how is it that this stupid cop show has such a huge viewership, yet no one talks about it on Twitter? As if that's like, in some way, almost like a slight. And, and I'm, it's not almost, it's really intended as a kind of slight. I'm like, well, you've already acknowledged that culture doesn't only participate in social media. And yet there's a kind of, not even, a, again, it's not really a kind of, it really is a critique. It's like a kind of, oh, there's a loser status to this. I think much as that's the case, um, that there is a mixed signal prevalent um, in discussion about online media regarding what constitutes being present. I, mean, I think likewise, the nature of obscurity has really been blurred. Um, it, it's so easy to find documents. It's so easy to find discussion about them. When you can't find something, it seems odd. And usually it's just because Google has gotten harder to use over the years. And I'm not convinced that AI is going to solve that problem. But But we all know that like, you've read a book and you know that somewhere someone must be talking about it and you can't seem to find it. But the, the gist is, is that, um, that similarly, I don't in any way think of the Hunto as a growth opportunity. You know, I've not engaged in this because I, I would like in um, 10 years for there to be a Hunto school with Hunto, with Hunto disciplines and mm -hmm. Hunto, um, described Hunto lesson plans. Um, it's it's quite the contrary to that. I love that it's it, people pass through it. You know, they tire of it or they aspire to it. Um, and, and that's totally cool with me. And, and I like the discussions and I like the free form nature of it. And I love that it's been years since I knew who most of the people are. There was a period of time mm -hmm. where I knew every one of them, even though I didn't know them. But it was like right. they were just they were they were a knowable quantity. But now people just sort of come and go. Mm -hmm. I don't know who they are. It's just, it's magic to me. It's one of the yeah. most amazing experiences of my life aside from parenthood. Yeah. I, I'm, I love that. I mean, it's obviously something that you still love because you're still doing it. And you know, there's, um, there's a bit of a, like, I think kind of like a, a like a, tr like a, almost like a punk rock sentiment about the way that you have just described it. You know, it's like, I'm doing it for the, for the love of this and because, you know, I know there are people out there who would really benefit and love that, like get into this and, and, um, you know, learn a lot from it, but you know, they'll find it. And, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I've, I feel like that kind of approach often, like just you end up becoming, you sometimes I feel like you get more success than somebody who's like really just trying, you know, and reading the books and, yeah. everything. um, yeah. Uh, speaking of books, I and San Francisco and online. Um, have you read uh, "How to Do Nothing" by Jenny O'Dell? No, but I'm now going to oh. write it down in my notebook. It's I I really liked it, and she, she took this really cool approach um, on you know just like 
basically like it's not so much like how to get offline but it's it's a little bit like that but she she puts it through a frame of um it's really cool like like one a frame of nature and carrying around like a little uh uh what are they called like the little um lens the little magnifying lens why uh why am i blanking on what those are called um anyways like and then loop. also a loop yes thank you and um she also like uses pauline Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> learn something new every day. Um, and I think, uh, she, she, she uses, uh, uh, Pauline Oliveris's work a lot. Oh, um, oh cool. so a, a kind of like using that, uh, to kind of like, uh, stoke in your head, like different ways of being present, but not so much for, um, you know, like the meta, like the typical, like meditation thing, but more, of like you're going online to find something but you're addicted to it because of all the colors and it's designed to keep you going back but you're actually not finding anything that's really like actually making you happy or exciting you typically um so you know i don't know i, I think it was a, a really really well written and fun book um and you'll love it because have you read yeah, rob she, walker's the art of noticing that sounds familiar. She may have even referenced that quite a bit in the book. That might be why yeah. it sounds familiar. He's a friend of mine from when I lived in New Orleans, and he uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Noticing, and um, I don't see him virtually, like it might be once every few years when we happen to be in the same city at the same time, but he wrote a really interesting book called The Art of Noticing, which is very much aligned with what you described. And, and now that I think about it, I think he's actually mentioned um, Jenny O'Dell's book in his newsletter, which is also The Art of Noticing. Oh, cool. And he talks about the Junto a little bit in his book. Um, oh, cool. And yeah, I mean, that those subjects, like all, the stuff that Austin Cleon talks about as well. I mean, I think there's, there's a bunch of people who have really helped um, kind of popularize the idea of, of thinking about uh, a somewhat more placid uh, participation in reality. Um, and yeah, that definitely aligns. In fact, I've been working on um, some writing about field recordings for several years now. And uh, field recordings as a practice and a means of navigating reality and also like thinking of them as a, as a, a form of cultural content and so forth. Um, yeah, I'll check that book out for sure. I mostly read um, fiction, but I, I do try to dip into nonfiction. On it's it's short. It's short. You could you could knock it out in a few days Ooh, easy. Like and um, also, I think you'll be especially into it because, well, she takes also like this ecological approach, and she talks a lot about you know just the greater San Francisco area. So a lot of it will be oh, cool. really familiar to you. Nice. Um, uh, well you've really you just you just put power bait on the on the hook and threw it into my pond with the field recording thing uh -oh. so i'm going to put a pin okay. in that because i'm definitely <laughs> going to want to talk about that yeah um just just a note i'm a huge admirer of pauline oliveris's so that's really going to get me into the book i i, I knew her a little bit because i started oh, writing cool. about her pretty early in my in my writing and so i got to meet her a few times and actually this is kind of breaks my heart oh break my heart she had an incredible life but we were actually corresponding in facebook messages like we were dming each other about her potentially contributing a, a prompt to the disquiet hunto because a big part of the hunto is occasionally having prompts that originate out you know outside of my imagination and someone external to the group even might participate or a group member and she was thinking of an idea uh, just shy of when she died oh um, man so it's sad that never happened well, that's that's uh, that's cool that you got to have some some interaction and back and forth with her. That's 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 uh, yeah. that can be really special when you get to talk to somebody. She's a huge presence here in San Francisco. Yeah, like for sure. Uh, my my we, this is the podcast, so I should talk about my mantra. So I have uh, 
a mono rocket case uh, with six uh, uh, U, as they say, mm-hmm. and uh, and it wasn't. And for some reason, I'd recognized it needed more power. I don't think it was glitching out, but someone uh, someone's like, "You need more power." It may have been when I got an ER three hundred one, but I'm not sure. I was going to say uh, sometimes case, if you have too many digital in an like yeah, older case, I like too. screens. Yeah, <laughs> I like screens. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I uh, I looked around for someone to um, swap out the power supply because I'm incredibly non mechanical, and uh, a woman in the East Bay would do it and uh, you know for a small fee and it turned out that she had while being a student at mills uh, had been the person who um managed the technology when pauline oliveros gave her class like she oh, wow oh, cool she handled all the tech so it was cool it was fun to get a little sense and she she was a huge admirer and had a good experience but it was it was neat to need to get that inside the mechanism uh-huh. of her education practice uh, perspective until I have more power for my case. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, so I want there's a, you just brought something up that was what I, and I wanted to ask about. Oh yeah, well speaking of modular and and junto, I'm wondering have you since the uh, the the growth of the popularity of um, the use of modular since like do you see or hear more about it lately or has that increased or I mean, there's just so much going on with modular since it's, uh, I think one of the, the healthiest reminders, and, and this is on my mind, parallel to my longer ramble earlier about internet culture being its own thing, but also the extent to which it is and isn't a mirror of, or even a part of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, it's kind of amazing to me that how, how as large as Eurorack and modular sense and, and semi-modulars, which I think are an important component of that mm-hmm. kind of sector, as, as, as much as those have increased it's funny what a tiny percentage of the overall music making music mm-hmm. it's really quite something when something does pop up in a video i'm astonished like uh, i'm a huge fan i don't listen to a lot of music with vocals um mm-hmm. but i really do like vocal harmony if there's harmony i'm into it solo vocalists I've, I've i mean it's been a long time since i've paid much attention to music with solo vocals um and and i'm a huge huge fan of the trio mountain man if you've heard them mm, they're I they're no incredible it's like they're kind of like the roaches they don't have the roaches kind of arch humor per se but there's humor in their work okay and um, their harmonies are like it, it's incredible how great you said mountain are. man there's a weird they're also yeah they're called mountain man just to make things really confusing it's three <laughs> cool. and one of them is part of and i'm going to mangle this but sylvain esso i think that's how it's pronounced. oh sylvain esso yeah um, yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sylvan Esso, excuse me. One of them is p- part of that. And I remember watching it, and, I, and I've I've listened to the solo work of the people who are members, and I just haven't connected to it the way I have to their yeah. group work. Uh-huh. Um, but I did watch a video of Sylvan Esso, and there was one of them. Um, and and as the camera was floating through their the duo's um, little, I think it was a duo, little, little room, there was a Mono Norns and there was a, a, no, a Grid and an Arc, I think. And it was so amazing. Like, it was so rare that I saw that equipment appear mm. outside of the little realm in which it takes place. So, in any case, yeah. it is nice when it peeps out. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice. When well, it and out. it's, I feel like it's, it's really starting to like inch into more and more like, you know, popular or well known music uh you know you're starting to see yeah. it on stage a little more or and i even saw in like a 
in some TV show on Netflix about like Brooklyn, somebody goes to a show and it was, you know, of course, a person just stand there twiddling knobs and it was just like harsh noise. And it was kind of a the butt of a joke in there. Um, but it was like still like, oh, wow, that's um, and then also this is this was really weird. Um, I wasn't like I was never into like the emo screamo thing, but um, I definitely knew the bands when I was, you know, younger and, uh, you know, knew who the popular bands were and everything. And I always appreciated the the technicality of that kind of music, but I was just so into like singer songwriter indie at the time I wasn't rocking. But, uh, just the other day I got, I got followed by this group called the fall of Troy. Have you heard of the fall of Troy? Oh yeah, I have heard. They're of like, that. Yeah. yeah, they're like a big. I mean, they've been like twenty years. I think they've been around. I don't know if it's been consecutive, yeah. but you know, they're like a a well known, like well respected, uh, like I I don't know if if they're technically screamo, but they make math math rock and stuff. Um, they followed me mm -hmm. on Instagram, and I was like, did they get hacked? Because this seems like so not. So I was like, well, I'm gonna go just look at their followers, and it's just like. 90% modular companies and stuff. And I was like, yeah. what? So I like sent out a message and turns out the drummer's like super into modular. And I was like, wow, that is pretty cool. And I don't know. It's just the it's people the that you don't expect it, you know? Yeah. I, I want to say, because uh, I want to just register something, which is that there are critiques of modular that intrigue me. There are, um, there is, it, it, it's, it's strange to me when something with such a narrow base of operations, which, I mean, I've read really interesting numbers about, for example, for those who are listening to this podcast are familiar with, of course, I imagine mutable, mutable instruments that mm -hmm. they're that on the one hand, hugely uh, present in this, realm of um, I'm struggling to not use the word ecosystem so forget um, the in this realm of music making um, they it's not like they sold like Korg numbers it's not like they sold like Yamaha numbers um, it's just that within the narrow confines of this realm they they were an outsized presence and mm -hmm. and and that's been on my mind because because there's there's the these and there are these critiques of gear videos and of, of, you know, like the inevitable plant. There's no plant in this. <laughs> there are some, you, at the entryway to the house, there's a plant, but there's, I don't play music down there. I've got, my um, wife's a horticulturalist, so there, my house is full of them. <laughs> we've got a really nice garden out back in our tiny back, you know, urban backyard. But, but in uh -huh. any case, I, I joke, the gist is like, there's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of energy goes into disliking things and I get it. There's lots of stuff I don't like. I just don't spend a lot of time. I try not. I, I yeah, strive right. yeah. in, a kind of, <laughs> in this kind of secular Zen way to just try to not focus on it. But there is an enormous amount of critique of, of your act that I, I, tr I don't want to say it fascinates me because like I said, I try to not engage. But but I think the thing for me that's, that's I guess there's two things I'll say on that topic, which is that one, I think that there's um, there is consumerism inherent in humans. And so anyone who's critiquing modular in particular, I, I feel like it's mistaken because I think if you look at bicycling or photography or many forms of sports, you'll find like endless rabbit holes of purchases you might make. And, mm -hmm. and, and as part of that, the cost of a, um, a, a second to that, the, the cost of synthesizers while high, I mean, one guitar, God, one harp, one cello can be significantly more than mm -hmm. A fairly sizable so yeah it, it's a chunk of money and i'm very conscious that people have different means 
but that but those discussions I think are about another topic. I don't think they're really about music and, and I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um I mean that just that just can that sprawls out in so many directions, you know, because you yeah, I mean these people who are making these amazing instruments are, you know, a lot of them some of the most brilliant minds, you know, hard super hard working and they're a one person operation and in order to crazy. do what they do, they do need to sell products. So, you know, the the capitalist side of it is definitely from my experience talking with with all these makers and stuff is is the least good part you know it's the like the least enjoyable part yeah. it's the gross part and i you know i have some of that with the podcast like it takes a lot of work to do this and um you know and a lot of time more time than pretty much anything else i do and so that's you know if i don't monetize it then i can't do it in the capacity that i want to do yeah. it and i want to do it as great as good as i can um so the, oh, it, yeah. that's always felt really weird and gross. I, you know, I don't, it, it's, it's, it feels unnatural to me to treat it as a business. And I think a lot of these manufacturers do that. I think also the, the, um, the, the literal modular, um, aspect of it gives it a little <clears throat> bit of a, a trading card collectors, um, oh, totally. Thing. totally and I've, I'm definitely yeah. like, I've, I've definitely crossed the excitement at the beginning is just, you want everything because it's all so new and exciting. I've crossed the threshold now where it's like, I'm not like, what's, well, oh, I need to get a new module. I need, you know, like I'm much more focused, but that's easy for me to say. Cause I've been very lucky and privileged to be in a position where I, I do get a lot of stuff that, you know, people send to me and everything. And I just even saying that it feels like a weird, like, does that sound like a weird gross flex or whatever? But um, it's, it's, so. it's, it's a fascinating situation. I, I find that just um, the thing that excites me is that there are these things, be, essentially there's lots of modules out there that are so creative <clears throat> that, that while I fully get that there are critiques of consumerism and yet I do think they need to be seen in the context of broader human consumerism and not like, that gets it's inherent to a specific field. Um, I mean, you log onto one discussion group about guitars, you'd be not just astounded, but probably um, nauseated by the 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 guitar consumption engine. Oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I I think that the original G in gas was for guitar because yeah yeah. That when you I take guitar lessons, I started taking them uh, about That's five right. years ago. Yeah, um, how's very, I want to very talk about that for sure. Crisis. <laughs> but but guitar guitar I don't understand. I have two guitars, and the only reason I have two guitars is because I have one guitar. And then during the pandemic, I rented a tiny fifty-five square foot office to work in, just to be away from the house a little bit. Really good deal near the house. And <clears throat> I realized that my guitar practice was declining because I it's a nice break during the day, so I got a second guitar. And I have no interest in a third guitar, but apparently that means I'm not a very good guitar player, but I'm not. But because no. apparently people who really like guitars have like a gazillion guitars. It's funny you mentioned that because I um I was just at Guitar Center yesterday, which I hate going into Guitar Center, but I was in the area and I wanted to pick up um, some new strings and it was just like right there, you know. Um, and as I was in there, I didn't even go to the guitar section and I had this kind of moment of aha and like, you know, I'm... I'm a guitarist. I have my guitars that I really like. Like I don't, I don't really need another guitar. And then I also found myself thinking like, 
I might want one more only because I am, I want to do, uh, I want to set one up for like open tuning and slide playing, which I've never oh, really yeah. done. Yeah, totally. Um, That's different. Um, yeah. Then it's a different yeah. instrument. Yeah. <clears throat> and then this, this is my baby right here. I mean, I've had this beautiful. for 11 years, probably 12 years. Um, yeah, it's just a Les Paul nice. studio, but, uh, I put a kill switch on it to cut the, the, the signal. And then I also put like this, uh, soap, soap bar sized humbucker in it. But, um, oh. but yeah, my, I guess my, my, where I was going with all that is just like, you can get, well, I know a lot of people that do get caught in it. And if I was recording, you know, for recording music with guitar was my main job, I probably would have more just for more flexibility oh. and tone and everything. But totally between, between but this people, and my Dan Electro back there, it's, I can cover all my bases. Um, and people with bicycles, also, I mean, people who are really into biking. Oh my God. I had a roommate in the eighties. He had so many bicycles and, and he didn't just have bicycles. It was more like the bicycles were a, a, um, a natural resource that was, constantly in flux and mm -hmm. the wheels from this were going on that bike and there was a new uh -huh. seat and <laughs> that it was astonishing to me and mm -hmm. uh, anyway where i'm going with this is that uh to to get on the positive side of it is that there is a kind of creativity like wildfire laboratories the 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 uh the um the 301 that i mentioned earlier this, mm -hmm. this one I've only learned about recently, this Endless from, from a Ukrainian company whose name oh, I will not yeah. try to... Yes, I, that thing I looks mean, amazing. Oh, there are some individual and small batch, forgive me, small batch is sort of a gross term because it sounds like we're making like, you know, um, artisanal bourbon or something like that. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Amazing, but, <laughs> but it's like, all I mean is that they can't afford to make more. That's all I mean by small batch. I'm not fetishizing totally. the micro... Yeah production i'm just saying like that's what you can do but the idea that these have you this thing here like the idea that essentially one person this is not modular forgive me i might be breaking some rules no no i the no, m8 I, from dirty wave i'm not sure have you seen this thing oh my gosh it's like incredible um it's a tracker the idea that something like this can be made by an individual Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a different, I mean, this, the world is so different than it was 15 years ago. It, it's just extraordinary. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the best thing is that pretty much everything you see, everything I've gotten, I got, I got this used, I will sell it at some point and probably, mm -hmm. you know, lose 5% of what I paid. So essentially yep. it was like a fine, <laughs> it was like a, it was like a learning fee. It was like a library mm -hmm. fine. Um, yeah. And so I, I the expense of it is actually not, if you have the money to put down, it's anyway, I, I started rambling a little bit and just, I just do, did want to mention this because I, I didn't want to get out of this conversation without acknowledging these conversations. I don't want to dwell on it, but it's a topic, yeah. but it, sh it, it shouldn't be the, the main topic. I think, I think there's a few things also just that uh, if I could put my cherry on top of it, um, cause I, I have, I have a lot of criticisms, uh, as you know, as a format, as you know, the type of music that there's a lot of, you know, like some like, and how, how difficult it is to actually like make a song and, and do that in a, in a, like a timely fashion. If, if that's yeah. part of your interest, you know, um, I think the, the benefits outweigh all of that. I also want to oh. touch on the, uh, um, the cost thing, the good thing about it getting, uh, more, more popular chipocalypse has not helped this at all, but, um, I, I do see 
prices going down a little bit more multiple functions within a module so you don't have to buy an aid you know an envelope of vca you know and you know just to get that going um um the semi-modular stuff is all you know like and vcv rack i mean vcv exactly vcv rack incredible Mm -hmm. incredible Anybody yeah. who's curious, I always tell them, start there. Don't go buying a bunch of stuff. Be- just because DivKid can make that sound like that, that does not mean that you can. I've had to learn that very hard lesson multiple times. Um, <laughs> All right. So I've been talking about the Spherical Wavetable Navigator from 4MS for a while. And for good reason, it has become one of my favorite modules. Um, so I thought I would do a quick little video showing you how I get started with a patch on it. Um, I used to be very intimidated by this module because of how deep it is. And yes, it is deep, but I think the UI on it is uh, brilliant. It needs to win an award for UI design if such a thing exists. Um, So yeah, I'm gonna show you how I get started. And yeah, there's some button combinations and whatnot, but again, the way it's laid out makes all sorts of sense. So we have our six oscillators here. Actually, just from the beginning here, let's let's just, I'll show you how to get started from the, from the get-go. So let's say I have one of my old patches loaded up. To get to a blank setting, just turn the load here and we're gonna go to an unilluminated LED. And now we've got six identical waveforms, pitch, everything. Something that's really cool is you can get, you know, it's a stereo out so we can mess with the panning. So all the edits that you're going to make are going to kind of be revolving around the individual buttons for the oscillators, at least for what I'm gonna show you today. So real quick, the most simple one, in this mode, that is a mute, turns it back on. But if you hold this button down, that's where you start getting into all sorts of uh, really cool access for tone, everything. So let's start uh, just by panning. The slider in the center is uh, at center when you're holding down the button. So you can go from left to right. So let's put that guy in the center and bring that guy down an octave. Now let's choose a new wavetable for it. Um, A lot of push. So like if I I just turn this knob here, I'm moving within this sphere. Um, And I'm gonna maybe do a video about the actual wavetables, but this is not gonna actually focus too much on the spheres or the wavetable, even though that's in the name. Um, But yeah, push down, switch different spheres. Go there for that guy. And now with the transpose, I'm going to start building um, either a little sequence or a chord. Okay, that's cool. Um, Also forgot to mention here, this octave um, can turn all the oscillators up or down by octaves. But if you hold it down and push, you can choose your scale. So I'm going to do a harmonic minor here. Let's bring that guy up now. Choose a new wavetable for this voice and let's bring that up a ways here. Same with this one. (laughs) 
So we got it droning. Let's push this LFO VCA button. And now we've got a nice little uh, kind of arpeggio. Each oscillator has its own LFO paired with it. So when you're in this LFO to VCA mode, that LFO is what is opening each VCA. And as you can see here, we have a one volt per octave or VCA switch. That basically decides what each one of these inputs is going to do. So you can send sequences into all of these um, or envelopes. You can also choose your LFO shape. And you can change the shape of all the LFOs at once. And then you can change the LFO speed here. And then there's a phase of the envelope. So if I push this down and now I can kind of change the phase of all the LFOs that are opening the VCAs and that can um, help you decide what kind of rhythmic stuff you want to have going on. What's really cool about these LFOs is just like with the oscillator, you can change all sorts of parameters by holding down their respective buttons. So let's just uh, hold down the A button and I'm going to change the LFO shape of the A uh, oscillator. And now B. And you can change the phase of each LFO individually as well by pushing LFO shape down, moving that. And we can transpose our entire sequence here with the transpose button, or we can hold it down and spread those notes around um, to kind of give you different inversions or scale degrees, basically. And then one last feature I want to show you really quick with these LFOs is, as you probably guessed, uh, self-modulation is really awesome on this. So let's use the LFO from one to just move around our sphere. But you can see that's pretty intense. It's like, oh, maybe I need to run that through an attenuator first. Well, you don't because right here, this LFO speed, if you push that button down, uh, or that knob down while holding one of your LFO um, or oscillator buttons, you can actually change the gain or the output voltage of your um, LFO. So that sounds much more manageable. So let's just randomly choose another one and change our latitude. Grab another LFO. This one's pretty long, so let's put that one into our depth. Actually, let's do something more drastic. Let's go actually to the wavetable sphere. 
so you can, again, sounds pretty wily. Well, let's just take that gain down. And then we can change all of the uh, spheres at once by pushing down and find a spot that sounds good with that modulation. So this is kind of how I would get started. Um, I'm going to make another video showing you where I'll go next with this um, because you can see this transpose here. Pretty cool. The spread. You can control those with unquantized LFOs and envelopes to uh, give your, your sequence or chord um, a lot more variation. So this thing's kind of like uh, an ambient drone dream machine. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, one thing I love to do is, one thing I've said in conversations previously is that when I um, first got into music and really was getting into music, uh, so this, so I'm 56, just for context. I graduated mm -hmm. from college in 1988. I graduated from high school in 1984. Um, I started listening really actively to music prob fairly late for a teenager growing up along Yeah, I remember you mentioning um, that. But but when I did, I got in heavy, and I was really into the Beatles, and uh, really into yes, really into the, um, uh, the the folk and rock of the late '60s. The Birds. I was hugely, hugely mm -hmm. interested in the Birds, and and I think that uh, it's very interesting to listen to Mountain Man today because I think that the Birds and Yes had vocal harmonies in a way that really resonated with me. And actually, just to track this, led to me being really interested in Gregorian chant and like mm. the clusters of Morton Feldman and of, of, of uh, Cecil Taylor, like these things have their tracks, but, but, but I bring it up because I think that um, when I, early on, when I started my method of learning about music, which was not a conscious one at first was simply like, if I liked a record, I found the people who worked on it and I was like, Oh, this bass player is really interesting. Right. And, and if they showed up somewhere else, like the first time I bought it, I did the same thing. David yeah. Bowie I record. Yeah, I bought Hunky Dory. Why? And kill me, man. I'm just going to make a lot of people forgive me, but I'm going to uh, negatively, I'm going to adversely affect your your, your viewing. Because anyone who made it this far, some people may turn off when I say that I bought Hunky Dory because Rick Wakeman played piano on it. Rick Wakeman mm -hmm. from Yes. Like I was like, oh, there's like 20 David Bowie records in the store. I don't know which to buy. And so I got that one. It's turned out to be an amazing record. Yeah. But that was it. When, when now, I like wanted I to dive into it. technology has become that. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh no no no. Um, go ahead. I think also. Well, I, I have a similar um, Bowie story. Uh, I, of course, know knew all the hits and everything, but like, kind of wanted to go into the stuff that I hadn't heard. And I and you know, looking at his catalog, I was like, I don't know where to start. And I went to Low because Brian Eno was part of it. You know, I'm like, well, if there's one I'm going to like, it's probably yeah, totally. going to be that one. And that's, it's a fantastic album. I love that album. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of my, today, my friend today, David Lutz does that a lot. Yeah. He it's follows. it's the way I got through music. And of course, there's some people who, you know, if you, if you early on are like, oh, I really like Tony Levin, you're kind of screwed because he's probably been on 4,000 recordings. But <laughs> at the same time, you can actually learn a lot by listening to a lot of those. But, but the reason I bring it up is because as the years have gone on, I then got interested in record labels as a means to track things, like whether it was uh, mm -hmm. Artist House or whether it was uh, Hat Art or ECM, um, disc, uh, uh, um, 
it, these are different ways to track things. And then later mm-hmm. on, I've come to realize that technology has been an incredible way to track activity. You know, searching mm-hmm. YouTube for a module um, or for another piece of equipment is an incredible way to learn about music. And, you know, it's led me to people like Femi Fleming, Orwell Pattern, Sarah Bell Reed. You know, I knew about Marcus Fisher's work earlier, Stephen Vitello. Mm-hmm. There's so many people who are using the exact same tools. Like you look and it's like, it's the same thing. And my God, it is like, they are on different planets from each other. And I, yeah, I love, oh, I love yes. the ability. Something's broken in YouTube because, you know, sometimes I, I, I will search for a piece of equipment and a video will never show up. And yet yeah. somehow through yeah. some other way, I find out that this video has existed. I was just watching one about the ADAC uh, granular mm-hmm. yesterday, in fact, that I was never coming up in searches on YouTube. But in any case, I, I really am a proponent. Part of the benefit of becoming interested in music technology actively about 10 years ago was um, about eight years ago was that I, um, I suddenly had this new vantage on it and it coincided with the growth of people posting videos online where they would highlight the technology. And so basically mm-hmm. anyone who's doing that, I really I don't get too into the gear. Like don't make it the point unless it's a tutorial, which is fully welcome. But, you know, definitely those things are great ways. They're great ways for people to, to learn about music and to tr- find things that are of interest. Absolutely. Um, I, I have to find this because it's way too pertinent. Um, and I feel like I would be show really letting Mark. Yeah, I'd be really letting Marcus down if I if I didn't show you this. Give me one second. Just is it the field recording sticker? It is. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to find it because I have I have showed it on the show, but I feel like I feel like the, I want to show it for any. There, there we go. They're right here in front of my face. So it I've always been. I'm, yeah. Right. I've I, I've been a fan. Uh, I am way more of a fan of the death metal font than I am. I don't really listen to metal, um, but I've always loved the font. But here's oh, Marcus Fisher's field recording. It's, and the little the little um, recording devices on either side. I didn't even notice that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like two uh, like shotgun so mics great. on each side. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Oh. Marcus is a a great great person. Um, He's the reason I got into this stuff. You know, I'd written about him, his music for years. And then when my Aphex Twin book came out, I did a few readings. When I did the readings, I organized it so that some musicians would perform music sort of vaguely inspired by Aphex Twin's mm-hmm. music in some vague way, um, responding to some some compositional idea. And when I did it in Portland at Powell's Books, Marcus, um, uh, along with uh, uh, Ted Latteris and um, Dolphin Midwives performed. And, and I just sat there watching them manipulate stuff like so this is 2014 i think i think 2014 and i that's how i found out about marcus fisher was from you talking about was through synth oh was it um through through your through you i just yeah oh really for real Mm -hmm. yeah because i was i I started yeah because i just looked your episode nine i started this show because i wanted to learn about modular and i didn't know i I had no business doing what I was doing. Um, so yeah, it was, <laughs> nice. it was like, I, I still remember, I, you know, I don't often remember, um, you know, recording the podcast, like on a, like with specific podcasts. Cause you yeah. know, they, but I remember doing yours. I was in my, uh, my buddy Ian's house on his couch 
because my internet was shitty. So I went to his house. So I'm just like by myself in his house. And I remember talking to you there. I don't, that's not really important to the story, but yeah, that's how I, I, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. So thanks. Well, I just watched him play (laughs) in the next day. That's amazing. The next day he walked me over to um, control voltage. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I wasn't staring at the incredible art on the wall, if you've been there with the, the string yeah, art that, that does their logo. I was just, I was utterly mesmerized by that art. <laughs> but in case I got hands on with all the stuff and I realized, wow, I could just get a case. So I came back to San Francisco. I looked on Craigslist. I got a, a, a happy ending, mm-hmm. unfortunately named toolkit thing. I got the, <laughs> a couple of modules. I got a wave sheet. I got the weirdest collection of from a guy just down in Rich. We ended up kind of sort of like chatting. I went over there once and like looked at his zines. He's a really good guy, very talented musician. He ended up knowing other people I knew because it's a small thing. And I mean, half the time I buy something off Craigslist, I ended up getting in an amazing conversation with someone. Like I just bought um, a, a, a small case to put some modules in this weekend and a really nice person. He was talking about how he was getting out of it because he was really into Max MSP, but he wanted to make his own hardware. So we talked about the hardware he's making. And it was just, I mean, it's, it, I get, I'm sorry to go back to, I get the anti-consumerist thing fully, but at the same time, as I learned a long time ago, um, I attended a lecture where someone pointed out something to me, I think about so frequently, which is that commerce preceded agriculture. Fascinated by this idea. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. humans <laughs> traded things, or proto-humans must have traded things mm-hmm. before they learned how to grow things. It was um, it was an it was a more foundational experience to give someone something in exchange for a service or another product than mm-hmm. it was yeah. to put something in the ground and then wait a long time for the elements to make it grow and then to know that that was right. edible. And and believe me, yeah. I am not a very financially informed person. I'm not a very um, I don't participate in the markets, you might say, but I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by that observation. And I think that that connection between people is something that shouldn't be ignored. I think that the way that people totally. support each other and so forth. I mean, Band- Friday Band- Bandcamp Friday is a great example of this, the idea that there's an understanding mm-hmm. on people's parts. They don't may not be entirely aware of the whole, the way the economic system works, but they know that on certain Fridays, a much higher percentage, 100% of the less taxes and so forth, of what they pay goes. And they're aware of that. And that informs mm-hmm. culture. That informs then this cultural thing, which is almost like a monthly holiday. It's the whole system. It's worth being aware of um, and rather yeah. than just doing, which I normally do, which is to recoil from it. So Right. Yeah. I think also with the, the trading thing, like while you were saying that, I instantly thought of three people in the, you know, the Pacific Northwest scene, the greater Seattle, Tacoma area, who... Um, I became friend, like friends with years ago now because we initially like traded or sold each other modules. My buddy Brian, uh, my friend Milo, and then also my my friend Lenny, who runs After Later Audio, who I work for. We met because I was trading him a module for one that he had built, you know, when he first started. So there's there's definitely, you know, that. And before I got off Facebook, you know, I spent most the the hardest thing leaving Facebook was the Seattle Eurorack yeah. by sell and trade, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's so definitely much good that. discussion, like product specific ones too, like groups yeah, for specific totally. objects. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think also, I mean, yeah, that capitalism sucks. We live in a capitalist society, like, like it or not, like you, you have to participate at some point. And I think a lot of these people who might throw shade at this might be tweeting about it from their latest iPhone, you know? So it's kind of like, let's calm down. (laughs) 
Um, and I think yeah. another aspect that I, that maybe this is just making me feel better about it, but I don't think so. I don't think this is any sort of mental jujitsu on my part. I, I view, um, especially modular devices, um, or, you know, synth synth stuff as literal pieces of art. They are artistic expression. Like I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, Eric Schlappi, while an, an amazing engineer is also an artist and, you know, Eli from mystic circuits is obviously an artist and it just all of them. And like, I got this, the Soma enter, which is literally a piece of art that is also a musical <laughs> instrument. So I think, you know, do you, do you throw shade at, you know, buying a painting from an artist that you really like and want to support? I don't know. Like, it's not like you're buying, like, I don't know. These are, these are small yeah, companies with motivated people. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. I, I think the way I think about it is that, um, a big, a big focus for me because I'm very interested in electronically and technologically mediated sound is the intentional use of equipment. Like, like turntablism is great. And I was a huge fan of hip hop for a long time and still listen to it, but mostly instrumental tracks, but I, which is a real fascination for me. But at some point there were turntablists like Graham Dunning and Maria Chavez who were really like to a degree, literally taking apart the turntable. And, and at some point, you know, skills become rote, not, not rote in a bad sense, but they become uh, teachable and knowable. And, and mm -hmm. once there was like a means once, you know, Serato and so forth came around turntablism, you didn't hear different things um, the same way. Uh, you know, I used to love the executioners, but at some point I feel like that sort of group's effort reminded me more of the Harlem Globetrotters, right? It was, <laughs> it was like a kind of performance mm -hmm. and, and I love it, but it's, it, 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 you don't go to the Harlem Globetrotters to see who wins. And, and, um, because it was, there were no, there were no, because, and which I'm not actually, I know nothing about sports, but I, I do, I do know that there's a difference when there's something at stake. And if people are competing, right. there's something Absolutely. at stake. And mm -hmm. I'm not interested in the competition aspect, but when someone is, is really working hard at the, at the instruments, it's less showing off. And I love the executioners. This is not a, against them at all, but there's a difference when they're trying to do something where, Whereas Brian Eno once said, it's only really experimental music if you might fail, right? If the experiment might fail. And <laughs> yeah, uh, I failed right, at right. delivering that, 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 that joke. But I agree with him. And that's why people like Graham Dunning and, and Maria Chavez are so interesting to me because their exploration of it is so, so spectacular. So I just bring mm -hmm. that up to say then that, that while there is a lot of consumerism within all fields of music, and I think that um, when it comes to the modular synthesis that I find particularly interesting, it is folks like the ER301 and and Wildfire and um, some of these the, the folks that air instruments um, traffics in where the instruments themselves have a sense of intentionality to them. And, and I'm a little mm -hmm. cautious about the word intentionality. I, I've struggled to find a word better, but I think it's for now I use it as a shorthand with a giant cautionary <laughs> asterisk yeah, yeah. next to it in a bright, bright uh -huh. color. Um, because I think that there's certain instruments where you can tell that the person making it is trying to figure out what what they're trying to use the technology to kind of move their own thoughts forward versus here's another sawtooth oscillator which is a nice thing right. to have and here's even a complex sawtooth oscillator or here's a complex mm -hmm. oscillator that does these things or this envelope fallers it's great and those are excellent and there's a lot of them and there will always be new ones 
But when you get that really weird object where it's just like, what's happening here? Like the nonlinear circuits, you know, it's just some of those things are like, I don't even, I remember I got one and the guy was like, I'll sell this to you, but I'm going to sell it to you cheap because I don't even know if it works. <laughs> and then I got it. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if it works either. I'm not sure. Is I've this like an Ember's Day Clothes? Yeah. Is this doing anything? <laughs> yeah. But some of them, yeah. like I got the Beat Freaks. The Beat Freaks is super cool. And uh, it's actually, you know, really, really quite usable. Mm-hmm. It's another um, nonlinear well, circuits one of recent. Right. You're, we are, this is, this is blowing by so fast. We're six, we're oh, four, sorry. Uh, five minutes shy. No, no, don't be sorry at all. It's, it's a great when they fly by. Um, that means we're having a good conversation. Um, but, you know, you mentioning field recording and writing about it. I just, um, I have, I'll preface it with just kind of the last probably three or four years have gotten very, very into field recording. Don't go anywhere without my port of capture. And I've got a geophone and a hydrophone and I've got my shotgun mics and, um, and, and I just, I love recording. I was just away for my birthday last weekend up at, um, uh, Lake Crescent up on the peninsula of Washington. And I just left my recorder out, you know, every night just going and recording the the outside because I, I never know what's going to happen. I re, I'm just constantly field recording. Um, brought it to San Francisco, cool. recorded the wave organ when I was there last and actually oh, yeah. in the, nice. the process. It wasn't the optimal time, um, but I was there with Austin, our Benny, and we were both recording stuff. It was a lot oh, of fun. He's so talented, um, man. So talented. And equally talented as he is just a genuinely sweet, kind and warm person. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, um, and deeply into nature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been, he comes, whenever he goes to Washington, he does, he does some really good hikes and we're planning, we're, we're hoping to do a camping trip at some point in the near future. Um, oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, where I was I going recordings, but I don't, I, well, <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand camping. I, yeah. I like actually, I went on a, I, 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 I camped a lot as a kid and I learned several things. And among them was that I, I really, really don't like camping. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, showers, I, 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 like I totally doors. get it. I like, ceilings. I totally get it. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite, favorite things to do, but I totally, I mean, I am, I car camp too. Like my wife and I bring mm. all the stuff we want and she brings a nice stove and, you know, so we're not like roughing it. I just like being outside and in the woods. Um, but yeah, so I got, you know, I, and I use the field recorder for my remote performances where I bring my synth out to crazy places and film. Um, and my, my, my thing that I really want to try to, I think I even had like a little bit of an epiphany last night, not an epiphany, but like kind of a, a path of how I want to do this. I really want to in, include field recordings um, in my music, but I want to find a way to do it in kind of an interesting and not you know, cause that, that also can become kind of a similar kind of punchline type thing within this world, yeah. just like me yeah. recording in nature. I know everybody does it, but yeah. I like being out there and hey. I like filming it. And, um, so all of that said, I feel like I, I just wanted to let you know, like where That's I'm at cool. with field recording and now you like, just because I want to, I want to just hear you talk about what you're writing about. Can, um, is there anything already out that I could read or like, what's the plan? And well, yeah. I mean, I, so I, I've, uh, I've been writing about, I mean, field recordings have been a topic of my writing for a very long time. I've just found myself focusing on it more. Um, so I've, that's, that's the main aspect of it. Um, for, for quite a while now, I, uh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm aware fully that there's a lot of times where the field recording is, um, it's become its own form of fetish. Um, right. some people who have some pretty clear critiques of it, but at the same time, cool thing about getting older besides your knees not working as well is that, um, is that you, uh, you, you have some historical context to contrast things with. And I, I recall a time where the issue with music was that it was too violent uh, or too aggressive. Um, and if the issue is this today, the music is too placidic. I'm like, <laughs> how right. unfortunate, how unfortunate right, right. that this growing subset of society is making music that is more reflective. And I'm like, yeah, wow. And that's a cliche. So by cliche, you mean it's really widespread and incredibly common to the point at which it's a received wisdom. Wow, that really blows. And could mm. some of it be fake? Yes, a lot of stuff's fake. There's incredibly fake. I mean, do you think what you go to the bookstore, what percentage of the people who bought all those books cracked the cover? Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. rampant in so many fields. And I'm just like, if the impulse is increasingly to make quiet, reflective music, that even if for a moment has someone pay attention to the world around them with their ears instead of their eyes. Uh, of course, there's downsides. There's downsides to everything. I mean, you can't eat a piece of food without it being partially good for you and partially bad for you. In any case, another ramble, another rant. The gist is that I'm fascinated by field recordings. And in fact, I was fascinated by them before I was aware I was fascinated by them. One of the earlier interviews I did about the Hunto, maybe five years ago, um, it was Jason Richardson, who's an amazing guy long-term hunto participant who lives in australia incredibly inc just he's an incredible guy he strikes me i'd have never met him in person but he seems like he's a really good dad he's definitely like incredibly funny and busy and creative and has a great spirit and he asked me a question which was have you noticed that a lot of the hunto projects involve the sound of the real world and i was like no i had not noticed that but he was right when i look back i was like the hunto is con was continuously for years without my being really conscious of it. i can't remember if it was the third anniversary or the fifth but he brought this up and i was like wow he's totally right i the hunto regularly is dealing with real world sound literally in terms of like one of my favorite hunto projects is to record the sound just the sound the room tone of three different rooms and to simply cut them up to create a song that is verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse mm -hmm. chorus and that's all it is and i, I love saw that, that prompt it's once and i was like project. I really yeah i really want to try that one um actually and i forgot to put my uh i forgot to tie a bow around my whole rant is the the seed of all of that me getting into that and, and wanting to use it in my uh in my music was actually a a, a specific junto project i don't remember which one i did oh. but i remember oh, recording you, remember, that'd be you know cool. Yeah, I really got to find that old hard drive because I made a lot. I did it for a while. Um, and I did, yeah, it was just like a recording of me walking on some loose gravel with, you know, a plane, a plane flying over. And then I just put that behind some like kind of moody ambient synth. And that became one of those tracks that I actually just listened to quite a bit. You know, my own track oh, yeah. where I was like, not just listening to it for mix, but because I was like, I love this atmosphere that I caught here. And it was mostly the field recording that I was liking to listen to uh, or liking listening to. Um, so, yeah. So, th again, thanks for that. I, I can't can't be oh, cool. uh, overstated how much the, the Junto was like a <laughs> very, crazy. very I, I didn't formative fully register thing that. for me. It's fun. It's yeah. fun to know. No, absolutely. Like super formative for um the journey that I'm currently on and have been for 
you know, six years now. So, um, my dad died that, last June and, uh, not long after my, my, my mom was moving out of the house that, that I'd grown up and they lived in the exact same house that I, I we moved to that house when I was like a couple of weeks old and, okay. and they lived in oh, it wow. until last June. And oh so God. I was there when we moved my mom out of it. She's doing fine. And, uh, she had already planned to move, but just the timing worked out in the unfortunate ways with my dad's uh, death. But I, I would just by, totally by chance, it was not planned. I was the last person in the house and I was there fully alone. There was no one waiting for me on the, in the driveway. This is suburban Long Island where I grew up. And I took my phone around and the iPhone has an incredible microphone. I mean, it mm-hmm. is just like everyone's out there doing field recording and talk about an over fetishized field. <laughs> like you go to field recording mm-hmm. discussions and it's 90% about technology, not about R. Murray Schaefer and and uh, and Stephen Feld and Pauline Oliveros and so forth. No, it's and John Cage. No, it's about it's about like low microphones and uh, and uh, which fluffy thing you can you can pop on the end. But in any case, yeah, yeah. Um, I digress. The gist is that I then went room to room and just recorded like a minute of the sound in that space. And I've got those recordings, and it's it's amazing to have this sonic. Uh, and I know someone's going to say, yeah, but that was without the furniture. And it sounds different than with the cushions and so forth. It's like, I know, I get that, but it's a document. That's the point. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you know Christopher Flieger by chance? Oh, um, name is familiar. Forgive me does, if I do know he, Christopher Flieger, because at the moment I don't, but maybe I do. He he does, uh, he, he releases like recordings and music under cooling prongs. It's like a death bomb arc. He's a death bomb arc artist, which is a label. Um he also he he did all the field recording for the live clipping album. So these like he he works oh. a lot with 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 the band clipping. Um, so if you haven't heard oh, their cool. live album, it's very weird. They put microphones in in toilets and outside and under the stage oh. and and it's does it's not Ooh. like a live album. It's like a field recording live album. It's really cool. Um, cool. Yeah. So yeah, I would just wanted to if you didn't know him, bring him to your attention because I don't know if he yeah, I'll lives check it out for sure. in SF, but I think he definitely like that's kind of his orbit. I, I'm pretty sure. Really cool, really cool, sweet oh, guy. Cool. We've I'll been trying sure. to plan going to uh, Mount Rainier. There's this hike you can do. It's literally called Paradise, and it's it's the closest thing to paradise I've found in nature. Um, you're you're just you're actually on your way up the mountain. That's how you, you go to get to like the base camp for summiting. Um, and I went up there a few years ago to field record and record with my synth. And I've got some cool videos from that time, but I didn't have a really great record field recorder at the time, but as I'm walking up, it's early in the morning, it's late September, really sunny. The sun's just coming out. And I don't know if it's was glaciers actually moving or if it was giant rocks, like falling from a thaw, but there were a few moments where it. I thought the mountain was going. I'm on the side of it, and I'm like, "This is it. There's if it's going, and I'm here. Wow. There's no running, you know." And then after it happened a few times, are you times giving me more no reasons else. to not want to camp? Is that what you're doing? You're trying to give me more reasons to not want to camp? <laughs> Add that to the list, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I so, I so want to go back up there now that I have like a shotgun mic, you know, and my geophone, and, oh, yeah. and try to capture that. And I was telling. Christopher about this. So now for the last couple of years, we've been, we, we haven't made dates line up when he's passing through town. And usually I'm, I can't do it because of some reason, which really sucks, but we, we have a plan to go up there and try to record that, that sound. Cause I think it would make for a really cool recording. Um, but now you got me going on recording field recording and I could just, I, I will definitely start boring, boring everyone within earshot. Um, so because we're 
over an hour in. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I definitely do not want to get out of here without you telling uh, the listeners how they could participate in Junto because I think I think this would be uh, you know perfect for new modular synthesis or you know seasoned you know all around. It's a really fun way to get out of your get out of the. Uh, yeah, your own box of creativity. It, it forces it not forces you, but it leads you in ways that you wouldn't have gone otherwise. So, thanks. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, uh, so, just for background, it's called the Disquadento. It was founded mm-hmm. in January, the first week of January 2012. Um, and every Thursday since then, I've sent out this prompt on a Thursday. You receive it via email, but it's available in a few other places as well. Um, and you uh, then have until the following Monday at 11.59 p.m., just before midnight. I used to say midnight, but people didn't know if that meant midnight Sunday or Monday. So now I say 11.59 p.m. on Monday to um, to then be done. Now, some people are just done. I've heard from people who don't eat. I've heard from lots of people who say, I don't even make music. I just like to read the prompts. Other people say that they like the prompts, but they use them for writing or poetry or drawing. And other people oh, who totally, yeah. make the music but are too shy to post it online, but they want me to know that they're doing stuff and they don't even want to share it with me, or maybe they will share it with me. But most people, as far as I can tell, um, do post it online. There may be more people than I know not doing so, but I, I don't think it's the case. So that's how it works. Um, the projects are defined to be really simple uh, to the extent to which they don't take a lot of time. For example, no project requires you to have ever participated in a previous project or to wait around for the next project. Each project is self-contained. A lot of times people say, oh, I got this cool idea for a project. You have to record the sound of the your garage for the next six weeks. I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's yeah, this yeah. project. There's lots of cool projects out there that are different, but these are all self-contained. Um, the people who want to join up uh, should understand the where it comes from, disquiet, the word disquiet, I borrowed from Fernando Pessoa, the Portuguese poet who wrote the book of disquiet, uh, an incredible book worth digging into, and it's very reflective. Um, and the junto comes from Benjamin Franklin, who when he was in Philadelphia in 1727, I think mostly he just was lonely and wanted to borrow people's books, but he formed a club called the disquiet, called the junto, excuse me, not the disquiet junto, just called the junto, which apparently being quite the chauvinist was apparently the word junta which he knew meant sort of a group, but he wanted the male version. So I think he kind of created the world word Hunto. Um, that's my understanding. A great man, not a great family man, probably not the, the, the greatest benefactor to women, but an amazing historical figure. And the Hunto was the first of many, among the first of many organizations he founded, including universities and you might argue the United States of America. Um, uh, really, really amazing figure. So anyway, Disquiet and Hunto together are the Disquiet Hunto. And you just go to disquiet.com d-i-s-q-u-i-e-t dot com slash j-u-n-t-o hunto um that'll lead you to like an faq and a list of projects and you can sort of navigate from there or you can just shoot me an email and i'll i can do this all shorter when i tell cool well I'll, i will also put uh, <clears throat> links in the show description um oh, mark cool. before we go is there anything that you want to shout from the modular mountaintops <laughs> anything i want to shout from the modular mountaintops uh no, no, I'm, I think I've I've named I've I've dropped the names of mir- wow sorry field recording. <laughs> I live in a very I live in a neighborhood with just enough garages to have some serious car culture going on, and there are oh, always okay. fascinating homebrew engines. And our I know nothing about cars, and there is so much car activity going around here. It's yeah. incredible. <laughs> um, so yes, that was one of them. Did Did you hear that when I went by? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, we have something. a lot of loud cars um, here too. Yeah, South Tacoma has its. Uh, so yes, definitely. I have nothing, nothing beyond that. I just, uh, I just, I'm, I'm digging it. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. See you in five yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> hopefully sooner. Um, I do. I do a, a, a Patreon bonus part, which is usually oh. pretty quick. Do you have a couple more minutes to answer a question yeah, that yeah, I'm totally. just about to make up out of? Is there? <laughs> I, I've been like I've been liking this question a lot. Um, it's. It's something that I've been trying to ask people when I'm first meeting them, if it's a friend of a friend at a dinner party or, you know, like somebody who, you know, I'm, I'm spending like a, 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 an evening with or something and, and getting to know rather than the what do you do question, because most people don't like their job or don't want to talk about their job. And I just feel like that's a that's not I don't feel like it's a really defining thing what somebody does for a living. And uh, so I've been asking. Is there, what, what has, what are you excited about lately? Like what, is it art? It can be anything. Is there anything that you've recently become pretty excited about? And <clears throat> yeah, I guess that's it. Like, or, uh, you know, really diving into and, and, and maybe talking to your peers a little too much about or something like that. Huh. That's interesting. Your definition of lately is also okay. You know, that can be, that can be nebulous yeah, if you'd like. Yeah. Well, and do you mean specifically music related? No. And it could be outside of music for sure. Yeah. This, so, so if this is a separate standalone video, people should know that in the other video, um, Tim and I talked a lot about field recordings. Um, I read a lot of fiction. Um, uh, Francis Davis, the music critic, uh, once was on a panel where a musician uh, stood up from the audience and said, all you music critics on this panel just want or failed. No, you're frustrated musicians. That was the line. And mm -hmm. being very witty, Francis immediately replied and said, no, we're actually frustrated novelists. And uh, just to clarify. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I, I think there are some music critics who are frustrated musicians, but I'm definitely the frustrated novelist uh, camp of music critics. And I read a lot of fiction. Um, you know, last year I read, uh, I've read by the end of the year, I'd read a novel every other week and I was re it felt wow. really good. I read a lot of fiction and I've been reading more and more and I've been reading like going through different avenues and, you know, reading books from related topics and then different topics. And one thing I've really enjoyed for many years now, but I've become increasingly focused on it and trying to figure out what to do with it is that I'm really interested in the portrayal of sound in fiction. Um, wow. I'm very attentive to when sound surfaces in novels. And so, for example, you know, I, I'm, I mostly read, I mostly read literary-ish stuff. Like in the longer conversation, I mentioned uh, uh, experimental novels I read a lot in the 90s. I think I might have said 80s, but I meant 90s. Um, and uh, and in the, in, the interesting thing is, though, is that there's types of novels that aren't considered literary, but actually can often be well-written, where sound plays a really strong role. And one of those is um, spy and thriller novels. Because when someone is uh, investigating something or required to be quiet, they pay a lot of attention to sound. Mm -hmm. And some novels don't <clears throat> acknowledge this. And I've read some novels in that, those genres that aren't particularly attentive to sound, but I'm, the ones that do, like I just read um, Elmore Leonard's City Primeval. Mm -hmm. And it has a lead, to, I've, I've, it's actually the first Elmore Leonard novel I've ever read. And I've, I've, he's been recommending it to me for years. And it's an incredibly good novel. A warning, it deserves a trigger warning for half a dozen things um it's not a pleasant novel to read um, okay but it's really good and he is he is he is everything that people have told me he knows exactly what he's doing on the page 
his gift for the way people speak is is incredible. Uh, in any case, there's some amazing listening in this novel. The main-ish character, the detective, who's a police officer who's investigating a crime at the start, which is is peculiar. Um, he, you watch him listen. And the thing I've come to realize, and I've written about this a little bit on disquiet.com, is that in order for a character to listen, okay, a writer can write something they haven't experienced before. They can do research. I do read some novels by people, for example, who do martial arts, and I think their action sequences reflect their experience. But there's one key thing. You, you can still write a book. I mean, people can write books about football and never have played it. They can just like it. But I do think that to write a novel in which listening is really present, the novelist themselves as a human has to be a good listener themselves. And so I think there's a really mm. interesting feedback loop there. And listening plays roles in the novel that are not essential to the plot, which is actually fine. I don't need every novel to be the conversation on the page, much as I love that movie. But there's a fascinating thing, like early on in the book, one of the characters hates a disco record. And then later on, his sort of girlfriend sees him walking toward a disco record playing on a record player. This is in the age of the LP. And having already, he having already destroyed when she gets, it's a beautifully written moment where she gets in the way. And at the very end of the book, for, for very interesting reasons, the character who hated the disco ends up alone. And he actually puts the needle down on a, on a Donna Summer record because he's been alone for so long, he wants to hear a human voice. I'm like, this was plot. I mean, it is, wow. it is yeah. genius. The book is so mm -hmm. well written. And that's not even the main character. The main character himself that spends a lot of time listening. And anyhow, I, I, if you ask me, you can tell from the tone of my voice for something I'm really excited about. The role of sound in fiction is something that really, really excites me. And uh, when it works, it works really well. Wow. Okay. That's a great answer. I love that. Um, well, now I'm going to be keeping an eye out. I'm just racking my brain if I can think of any examples. But the only one I can come up with is A Quiet Place, which I know is a movie. But um, that's, yeah, I love that. I lo and I, I love asking people that question because if people are telling you about their job, it's sometimes kind of labored and they're just like getting, they're hitting the bullet points and getting through it. But I think I think doing this podcast has has taught me to be a better listener in the sense that I've, I've, I've learned that I get, I get a lot out of listening to people talk about stuff that they're excited about. I love talking about things that Super. I'm excited about. So I love, I love to be able to tr like give somebody an opportunity to have the floor to talk about their thing because you can see their face kind of light up and it's like, this is what it's yeah. all about. You the don't want to talk nice. about it. It's a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. The video is a nice touch in that regard. You know, just people listening at home. We, we talked about just doing this via audio. I've uh, been a little under the weather, but I was like, I think I have the energy to do it on video. And uh, and yeah, yeah, I think that um, it is nice to see people's, um, we're humans, right? Still, for the time being, we're still humans. And it's nice to Definitely. enjoy our, our um, <laughs> fleshly projections of, of right, yeah. uh, positive response to internal and external stimulus. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it helps. It helps a lot. Um I think just seeing facial expressions, it, it, it it's, in, it's incredible how much context it provides uh, for tone, you know, I think, yeah. you know, just, just speaking, if you don't see a wry smile, you could think that somebody might be upset when they're being sarcastic or, you know, but um, that's a whole other topic, but thank you so much again. Yeah, I, I, I could answer and I'm not pleasure. going to, because it'll be another half hour. <laughs>
And believe me, I want it to, but I have to, I have more work I have to do today. This is this is a, this is me the too. fun part of the day, and now I got to go slog. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Mark for coming on. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the past five years, 250 episodes. It's been great. No signs of stopping anytime soon. I don't know if I'm going to do five more years, but who knows? It's a weird world. Never say never. Uh, that's good advice. I just came up with that. Never say never. This week's secret word is momentous. Thanks for listening, and until next time.